Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We'll be starting a new series, as I mentioned before. We'll be looking at and reflecting on the life of this amazing prophet of God, this young man named Daniel. So Daniel chapter 1, we'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 21. So read along with me if you've got it in your Bibles, or you can listen and hear the Word of the Lord. Scripture tells us that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants. For ten days let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood 
before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that you would have your word be for us this morning, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Conviction or compromise? Well, before we jump into the conviction or compromise, I got to get you, got to get you thinking a little bit. Got to get the juices flowing. So, uh, so we were thinking about some ironic pictures, some funny pictures, just to kind of get you laughing and thinking. And what does it mean to live by conviction or compromise? This actually has nothing to do with that theme. Has nothing to do with bravery. I'm, 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 I'm going to talk about how if we're going to live by conviction and not compromise, we got to be brave. What, what does it mean to be brave? And so anyway, we want to jump in. First, we got a, a shot for you here, uh, just ironic, you know, a DWI checkpoint. And, uh, and you notice that the car, actually the drunk driver, runs into the DWI truck. Um, that just caught my attention. I thought that's funny. You know, in life, you know, sometimes you do silly things, crazy things. I wonder, you know, I, I worry about the culture we're in sometimes. You know, you got a God uh, uh, trying to live a godly life in a godless culture. And, and we live in an interesting culture, don't we? Look at this next slide. This is kind of, a, I think, American culture. Fitness. Exercise. Welcome to America. You know, if you've got to, if you've got to take an escalator to your workout, then you may be, you, know, you might not be hitting the gym quite hard enough. Um, sometimes I wonder uh, about our society. I'm a little concerned about our society when you see things like this happen. What do you, what do you think about this next slide? This is funny until it happens to you, they said. S-H-C-O-O-L. And you see they're both looking at it there and they just now figure out, I think we put the H in the wrong place. Um, school zone. That's trouble when you can't spell school. That's, that's not good. Um, and, it, and I love this one. I love kids. You know, I always try to engage the kids in a sermon. So uh, we want to look at these test answers. You might not be able to see this, so I'm going to read these to you because these are really funny. Uh, question. In which battle did Napoleon die? Anybody know this one? His last one. Yeah, okay, good. Where was the Declaration of Independence sign? At the bottom of the page. Yep, that's right, okay. River Ravi flows in which state? The liquid state. It's liquid. It's not a solid. It's not a gas. It's a liquid state. That's a good one. What is the main reason for divorce? Marriage. Now, as a chaplain, this one concerns me a little bit, all right? The main reason for divorce is not marriage. What is the main reason for exams? Failure. No, no, no. We want to teach. We want to cultivate learning, right? What can you never eat for breakfast? Lunch and dinner, right? It's just, define your terms. That's right. I mean, how do you argue with that? What looks like half an apple? The other half. Okay. If you threw a red stone into the blue sea, what will it become? Simply a wet stone. I like that. I like it wet. All right. Uh, how can a man go eight days without sleeping? Easily. Sleep at night. Come on. Eight days without sleeping, right? I sleep at night. Um, how can you lift an elephant with one hand? You can never lift an elephant that has one hand. 
It's got four feet, right? Elephants don't have hands. It's an impossible trick question, I guess, here. If you had three apples and four oranges in one hand and three oranges and four apples in the other hand, what would you have? You'd have some big old hands. I mean, we're talking about Shaquille O'Neal over here or something, right? Three apples, four oranges? Good gracious. If it took eight men ten hours to build a brick wall, how long would it take four men to build it? No time at all. The wall was already built. <laughs> ah, I like that. I like he's thinking. How can you drop a raw egg onto a concrete floor without cracking it? Any way you want, because a concrete floor is very hard to crack. Yeah, that's a good, good question. I just wanted to get, get our minds, you know, again, I want to enlighten your mind. I want to warm your heart, so get your minds enlightened. We're going to be talking about a, a kind of a deep topic here, living a life of conviction and not com- compromise, being brave. And so as we think about that, I wanted to show you this picture. Anybody, anybody know who this is? Again, got to get the kids engaged, right? Brave, be brave. You think about the movie and, and her life and the way that she lived her life and and, and the courage and the conviction that she showed, I want to encourage us to be brave. Let's look at the next slide. Look at this. That's a lion. Bravery. What is bravery? It's looking your fears in the eye. I like that. Next slide. Bravery. Uh, this is a brave cat, right? I don't know about you, but that's a whole bunch of dogs. I don't, I don't know whether to respect more the discipline of the dogs or the bravery of the cat. But we're talking about bravery this morning. We're talking about living by conviction and not compromise. Next slide. There's a story about Julius Caesar Caesar that I love. You see Julius Caesar over here on the left. Anybody recognize that that picture on the right? Cliffs of Dover, right? When Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, he took a bold and a decisive step to ensure the success of his military venture. Ordering his men to march to the edge of the cliffs of Dover, he commanded them to look down at the water below. To their amazement, they saw every ship in which they had crossed the channel engulfed in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. Now that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but to be brave to advance, and to conquer. And that's exactly what they did. I don't know about you, kind of military leadership 101. You sail your people over and then you burn all their ships. It's interesting, isn't it? If you want to encourage the bravery and the zeal of your people, you look at them and you say, there's no going back. We win or we die. That's it. Be brave. Live with conviction. Fight with conviction. And so, as we think about our lives and the way that we're going to live them, how do we live by conviction? How did Daniel do it? So, as we work our way through chapter 1, I want us to to reflect. If we're going to live a brave life, a life of conviction, I want us to notice a couple things. First, we need to be wise. I want us to see in verses 1 and 2 the necessity of wisdom. And then in verses 3 through 7, we're going to see that we need to be watchful. We need to be watchful. Then in verses 8 through 16, we have to be devoted. And then lastly, in verses 17 through 21, we got to be brave. So we want to be wise, be watchful, be devoted, and be brave. And so let's see how 
how Daniel lives this out. Notice uh, as we look at this, uh, verse 1, let's look at it from the earthly perspective. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. Now here we see a picture of King Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in and he, and he takes Judah. He defeats, uh, I guess in that time, Israel was kind of a vassal state of Egypt. He came in and he destroyed the armies and the hosts of Egypt. So he takes possession of Israel. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you think back about the history of, of Israel, you know, you had kind of northern Israel, southern Israel. In 930, there was this huge split. In 722, Israel falls the northern part. Then in 586, Judah falls. And so there was a big gap between when Judah, the southern kingdom, fell and then Israel, the northern kingdom. Right now, it's the year 605. Nebuchadnezzar has just defeated the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. It's 655. So Israel has fallen, and yet the southern kingdom still stands. Israel has been destroyed by the Assyrians and now the Babylonians have come and they have taken over Jerusalem. Now let me ask you this. If you're a person in Israel right now, what would you be thinking? Again, from an earthly perspective. We were this great state, this great nation. We had King David. We had King Solomon. They were ruling us, but, but now they're gone. We had this fracture, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken over by the host of the Assyrians. Now we are being taken over by the Babylonians. What happened to God's protection? What happened to God's promises? What happened to the faithfulness of God? Surely they're asking themselves some very difficult, very tough questions. Many of you may have walked through difficult paths in your life and you've asked yourself those same questions. Where is God in the midst of this? Where is God's faithfulness? Where are God's promises? And from an earthly perspective, sometimes it's very hard to discern what God is up to in our lives. But then we want to look, if we can, from a heavenly perspective. Look at this next slide. I love the importance of perspective. You see the guy on the island, he sees a boat coming towards him and he says, oh, praise the Lord, a boat, my salvation, right? But then you see the guy on the boat looking at the person on the land screaming out, land, <laughs> my salvation. I've been stuck out here in the ocean for so long. They're both looking to each other for salvation and guess what? Ultimately, neither one of them have it. Perspective. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? So we see a different perspective in verse 2. We see what's going on in an earthly perspective in verse 1, but notice verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Isn't that interesting? The Lord gave him over. This is something that was dictated, determined, ordained by God. It's not an accident. It's not happenstance. This is happening according to God's declaration. We see this prophesied in Isaiah chapter 30, 39, verse 6. And I think it teaches us something. We can't always judge our surroundings by the appearances. We, we can't always understand what God is up to in our lives. And sometimes He may take us through a, 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 an area in our lives. He might take us in a direction in our lives that we never conceived of. But He's doing it to bring us to a position that we never imagined. I mean, think about Daniel. Here he is. He's a kid. 
He's sold into slavery. He's kidnapped, as it were, taken away from his people, away from his family, away from his land, away from his God, away from the temple and worship. He's taken away from all of this. And if you're like me, you're going, what? Taken to Babylon? Life's over, life's done, right? But no, God uses that and uses Daniel, raises him up so that he's second only uh, only unto the king, and he has the ability to, to influence public policy for the greatest power in the, in the world at that time, the kingdom of Babylon, for the glory of Almighty God. Now, you could never trace in your own human mind how Daniel got there. You couldn't figure out a way for that to happen. And yet God makes it happen. And He uses this weird, circuitous route to bring Daniel to exactly the point that he needed to be at exactly the time that he needed to be there. What is God doing in your life? Where is God taking you? You ever scratch your head and wonder, what in the world am I doing here? How in the world did I get here? What is God up to? It's not yours to figure all that out. Daniel at this point has no idea what's going to happen. He has no idea the end of the story. His only responsibility is to be faithful. You be faithful in the moment. Be faithful to God where you are and what you're doing. And guess what? God is going to take care of everything else. Do you believe that this morning? It is yours to be faithful. God is the one who ordains kings and kingdoms and puts people in the right spot at the right time. He's God. Trust Him to do that. It is simply ours to be faithful. And what a relief that is. I don't know about for you, but for me, just to realize I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to plan and, and, and try to angle certain things in certain situations. i just got to be faithful today and go to bed at night and lay my head on the pillow and sleep with a good conscience knowing that I loved God and loved my neighbor as best I could and walk the life of faith and obedience to Jesus Christ today. And that's it. There's a story of Mary Lee. This is Robert E. Lee's wife. It was shortly after her husband had died and she received a letter. Um, For people who knew her, they say that the loss of her faithful husband was the heaviest loss that she had ever endured in in her life. And it says, yet even in this loss, we see that for her, the grace of God was sufficient. There was a general butler who wrote a letter to her and was trying to comfort her shortly after the death of her husband. And he had written in there about Robert E. Lee's quote-unquote untimely death. And she replied in a letter and she said this, You speak of my husband's untimely death. We must not deem that untimely which God ordains. He knows the best time to take us from this world. And can we question either His love or His wisdom? How often are we taken from the evils to come. How much of care and sorrows are those spared who die young? Even the heathen considers such the favorites of the gods. And to the Christian, what is death but a transition to eternal life? Pray that we may all live so that each day death will have no terror for us. Isn't that interesting? I mean, here you've got the widow ministering to the man who was attempting to minister to her. It's about perspective. And so may God grant us 
the wisdom to be wise and to see life not simply from the outward circumstances around us, but from the perspective of heaven, leaving the future into His almighty hands. And so we want to be wise, but we also want to be watchful. Verses 3 through 7 are interesting here. Look at, look and see what happens here in verses 3 through 7. So the king commands his chief eunuch to, to bring these people of Israel, the royal family, these youths without blemish. They, they're good appearance, they're skillful in wi- uh, wisdom, they're endowed with knowledge and understanding. And so he, he commands that they all be taken to Babylon. And so Daniel and these men are taken to Babylon. Oh, somebody might have a car going off. Somebody's trying to steal your car. That actually happened at Eglin. People would come and break into cars in the chapel during worship services. Can you believe that? How to live a godly life in a godless culture. I don't know. You know, you've got to come in here and just leave it to the Lord. If that's my car, Lord, take care of it. It's just mine to be faithful this morning. It's, it's tricky. So what's going on here? We've got to be watchful. What's happening here is brainwashing, right? He's trying to bring them in. Notice what's happening. He's going to give them the food of Babylon. He's going to teach them the language and the literature of Babylon. Does this remind you of anything? Maybe a boot camp, right? The moment when you realize life has ended. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, they're, they're probably about the same way. They're like, dude, our life has ended. We've got to go to Babylon. We've got to learn their language. We've got to learn their customs. We've got to eat their food. We've got to drink their wine. This is crazy. We've got to be there while they worship their gods. They're even given new names. Did you catch that? They're given different names. And do you know the names that they're given? They are named after the gods of Babylon. Isn't that interesting? Instead of Daniel, Shadrach, or Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, their names are changed, and now they are the son of Baal, the son of Ra. The son of fill in the gods of our culture. Isn't that interesting? Trying to strip away their identity. Taking their name. In the Hebrew culture, you know, the names were very important. The names uh, uh, pictured character qualities, right? And so here they are being tempted, tested. As I broke it down, I see we've got four different kinds of tests going on. First, there's isolation. In verse 3, they're taken away from their home, their family, their friends. Second, we see indoctrination. In verse 4, they're taught the language, the literature of Babylon. Not Israel. They're taught to think like pagans. Because what happens if we think like pagans? We're going to live like pagans. Then there's compromise, verse 5. Food and wine. All of these, these offers to seduce them to pleasure and sensuality. We'll give you this great food. Oh, but wait, in our culture and in during this time in Israel's history, we're, we're supposed to only eat you know, vegetables. And that would be tough for a kid, right? Okay, if you're under 10 years old, that's about the age that you know, these guys are. When if you're under 10 years old, raise your hand if you love vegetables. Raise your hand if you'd rather have vegetables than a nice juicy steak or a hamburger. Come on, raise your hand. I don't, what's going on? I don't see any hands here. If I'm Daniel and I'm a kid and I get, t- and I get taken to Babylon and they say, oh man, you got to eat meat now. I'm just like, well, sorry. God's sovereign. He wouldn't have put me here if he didn't want me to eat meat, right? Bring on the meat. Give me the T-bone or the porterhouse, right? But no, they stay faithful. They don't compromise. 
Not only there's the idea of compromise, but there's also the confusion. We see in verse 6 and 7 that these names are changed. They're named after Babylonian gods. And so I want us to just think about how in our culture, how can this potentially happen? As a Christian, do you ever feel isolated? As a Christian, do you ever sense indoctrination? You should think different ways whether it's about sensuality or sexuality or identity, whatever it is, instead of thinking biblical thoughts, there's these other ways to think. What is important in life? What is virtuous? What does it mean to live a godly life? What is the the ethical code? There's all these crazy quotes in society, right? If you got it, plant it, right? I'll try anything once. Really? Are these biblical ideas? Are these biblical thought processes? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. No. So think about the way in which, whether it's through TV or songs or whatever it is, any kind of a a media, how you're being, as it were, programmed. Whether you realize it or not. If you're not fighting against it, then you're probably falling prey to it. What about compromise? What about confusion? Everywhere we turn, we find these seductions. Again, television, radio, magazines, billboards. And we have to remember that the way that we think dictates the way that we live. And I pray that as we're watchful, we would be alert, be vigilant, vigilant that we would always be seeking to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I, I came across this great picture. I wasn't able to get it to our, our multimedia team in time, but it was, uh, it was um, Captain John Luke Picard, anybody a Star Trek fan? And he had this like Borg mask on, and it says, You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. And I just thought that was a great picture. You know, sometimes I feel like that as a Christian living in society. You know, you will be assimilated. You will think as pagans think. You will live as pagans live. Resistance is futile. Give up. You ever feel that way as a Christian? And I just have to say, apart from the grace of God, that's where we are. We can do nothing in our own strength. But as we abide in Christ and as God Himself abides in us, we can bear much fruit. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? So may God give us the grace to be watchful, but in being watchful, may we also be devoted. What does devotion look like? We see this in verses 8 through 16. How do we be devoted? Well, there's three ways. First, we want to be decisive. We see that in verse 8. Next, we want to be humble. We see that in verses 11 through 13. And then we want to be hopeful. Notice in verse 8, as we think about what it means to be devoted, Daniel resolved. That's a strong word, isn't it? He resolved that he would not defile himself. So we see that he's a man of conviction and not compromise. We see his true colors even as a child, even as a young man. The very beginning... I love how, how he says, I'm, I'm going to start right now. It wasn't like, well, first I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to um, compromise just a little bit until I get in a position of power or until I get in a position of influence or until I get in a position of thor- uh, authority. You know, I'm going to compromise now, but then 
you know, if God puts me in a high place later, then I'll live for God. Then I'll impact. I don't want to mess up my potential impact by being faithful now. And you notice that's backwards thinking. No, no, no. You're faithful now. He who is faithful in little will be what? Faithful with much, right? He's faithful at the beginning. He's faithful with little things. And because of that, God then moves him to a position where he will be faithful with great things and important things. True devotion. Are we devoted believers? I like to ask myself that. Do I really believe what I say I believe? G. Campbell Morgan tells the story of a friend who was a minister. He was talking to a famous English actor. And he said, I wish you could explain something to me. And the actor said, what is it? I don't know if I can explain anything to you. You're a preacher after all. But he says, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction, and the crowds come wherever you go, and here I am preaching the essential and unchangeable truth, and no crowds come at all. And the English actor responded, he said, well, it's quite simple. I can tell you the difference between us very easily. I present my fiction as though it were truth, and you present your truth as though it were fiction. Isn't that interesting? So here's my question to you. As you live out the truth of the gospel, are you living it out as truth, or are you living it out as fiction? As others see you living out your Christian life, do they see that it's real to you? Do they see that it's substantive? Does it impact the way that you live your life? We've got to be decisive, but, but we also have to be humble. We don't run around banging people over the head with our truth, right? We've got to be wise. We've got to be gentle. We've got to be servants at the same time. Notice how Daniel does this. I love verses 11 through 16. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then let our appearance be measured. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't just stand and say, I'm not going to do it. Kill me if you must. No, right? He's, he's decisive, but he says, look, let me tell you something. This is what I'm dealing with. I'm under the law of my God. And this is the law of my God. Now, I want, I want to do something. I want you to test me. I want us, us four guys, we're going we're gonna to maintain our faithfulness to the law. And we'll see what happens. And, and you see, the servant is very nervous about that, right? He's like, whoa, I'm risking my own neck. If the king finds out that I'm not giving you the food that I'm supposed to be giving you, then I'm not giving you the drink that I'm supposed to be giving you. And if, if you show up and you look weak and haggard, then guess who's going to lose their head? Not you, me. And Daniel says, wait, 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 10 days. Give me 10 days. You measure us, and if we look bad, then we'll reassess. Notice the wisdom there. Not only is Daniel wise in the way in which he is decisive and he's faithful, but he's also wise in the manner in which he makes his decisiveness made known. Isn't that interesting? Not only in his determination to stand firm, but also in the manner in which he stands firm. 
That's true devotion. That's true loyalty. Living the godly life, but doing it in a gentle way. A wise way. Be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. Are we humble in the way that we make our stand for godly principles? Jesus was. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that even while He was being reviled, He did not revile in return. Daniel isn't yelling. He isn't being vulgar. He isn't being aggressive and attacking to the people who are above Him and in authority over Him. He's submitting to the authority over Him, even if it's not godly. And He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask permission to do it a different way. And then you see how it goes. And then what happens after the ten days? They bring them all in. They look at Daniel and his friends. They look at everyone else. And they realize God is blessing. God is adding His faithfulness. We've got to be decisive. We've got to be humble. But we also we want to be hopeful. I think Daniel truly believed that God would honor his and his companions' desire to be faithful. Look at verse 13. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed to you and deal with your servants according to what you see. I think Daniel knows that God is going to bless. He's got that conviction that God will bless faithfulness. That if you walk in the wisdom and in the way of Scripture, it will be a blessing to you. Do you have that conviction? Do you have that belief? Do you truly believe that if you walk in obedience to the Lord, that it will be for your blessing? That it will be for your family's blessing? That it will be for your community's blessing? That's the truth of the Gospel. And so we want to be devoted. But then in 17-21, through 21, we also want to be brave. Let's see this next slide. Be brave! It's scary to be faithful at times. It's scary to say, I can't do that. It's scary to say, I won't do that. We're men and women under authority, and at times the authority over us may ask us to do something that's immoral or unethical or unsafe. You've got to give it the smell test, right? S-M-E-L. Is it safe, moral, ethical, legal? Sometimes they're going to ask you to do something that's not safe, moral, ethical, or legal. What are you going to do? Are you going to be brave? Are you going to stand up and say No. Are you going to say like Captain John Luke Picard, this far and no further? The line will be drawn here? I don't know what movie that was in, right? Are you going to say that? Are you going to have the courage? Are you going to have the conviction to say that? This far and no further. I pray that this would inspire us and encourage us to do that. I want you to see that when Daniel and his friends entered this chapter... They were not much more than slaves. And when they end this chapter, they're not much less than kings. I mean, notice, notice it's, just, it's a flippant kind of thing, right? Oh, and by the way, uh, verse 31, or 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Okay, so unless you know the history of Babylon and the kings of Babylon, we started with King Nebuchadnezzar, right? We end with King Cyrus. And so what are we looking at here? You're looking at beginning this chapter in 605 B.C. We're looking at ending this year in 539 B.C., 66 years later. We're fast-forwarding 66 years in which Daniel has been under the service of Babylonian kings. And for 66 years, 
God has been faithful. For 66 years, God has blessed and protected Daniel. Now, we're going to see that it wasn't always easy. We're going to see he hung out with some lions. We're going to see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it got a little heated for him at times. But God was always faithful. Do we have that conviction that as we walk with the Lord, He will be faithful? That is what will give us bravery, trusting Almighty God. Not ourselves, but Him. There's a great story about Frederick the Great of Prussia. He was not a man of faith. In fact, he was very well known to be a man uh, who did not appreciate Christianity. But his commanding general was a man of great Christian faith and belief. And one night they were having this banquet. And Frederick the Great <clears throat> began mocking Christianity and began mocking Christians and making all these jokes. And everybody at this huge banquet, they were laughing. It was the, the height of King Frederick's power and influence and authority, the great king of Prussia. He's called Frederick the Great for a reason. And in the midst of all this, his commanding general stands up. And all the attention shifts to him. And he says something to the effect of, King, I have fought and won 38 battles for you. I have fought by your side and been loyal to you and to the state for these many years. And yet there is one that I must be more faithful to than even you, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. And I cannot stand here while you blaspheme His holy name. And so I raise a toast to the King of kings, Jesus Christ, and also to you, our King, Frederick the Great. And the room fell silent. And Frederick the Great responded, I am so sorry. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your boldness. Never again will the blaspheme of Christ leave my mouth. And the party dissolved in silence. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have the bravery and the conviction to stand up at that point, at that time, and say what that general said. But he did, and the Lord blessed it. Now, he didn't have to. Could have ended with his head on the gallows, and God would have still been faithful. And yet, in his wisdom and in his providence, he decided to have mercy. So I want to encourage as we close, have a heavenly perspective and then embrace the sovereignty of God, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King. He is seated on the throne. He has the scepter in which He rules and He reigns. I want you to realize that you will be attacked. You will be assaulted for your faith. And yet it is yours to remain faithful and to remain devoted. Do you really believe in the Gospel? I want to end with a story about David Hume. You might have heard of him. He's an 18th century British philosopher. Again, no friend of Christianity. He rejected historic Christianity. He once met a friend who was hurrying along a London street. And he said, where are you going in such a hurry? And the friend said that he was off to hear George Whitfield speak. I don't know if you all know George Whitfield, a Methodist revival preacher. The Lord blessed his sermons. He, everywhere he went, people would come and, and hear the Word and respond in faith. And so he's running off to hear George Whitfield. And David Hume says, what? Wait a minute. Surely you don't believe what Whitfield preaches, do you? And he answered, no, I don't. But he sure does.
I think that's pretty powerful. No, I don't believe it, but He sure does. Would people say that about your life? As you live your life, hey, I might not believe what they believe, but I can tell you this, they believe it, and because they believe it with such depth and such sincerity and such conviction, it woos you and it draws you even in spite of your own objections at time. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Christ the Son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Three in one. We sang it earlier. May God apply it to our hearts today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before You now again and recommit ourselves to You. Give us the determination to live a godly life in a godless culture. Give us the wisdom to live a godly life in a godless culture. And may we have encouragement along the way through the body as we love and serve and minister one to another. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.